Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, episode 39, a podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. I'm Brooke, and uh, I am normally a co-host, but Chris is letting me take over. Just kidding. That would be a bad idea. That'd be a great idea. I'm Chris. That'd be the best idea. He's Chris. I'm Mike. (laughs) We're friends. We're buddies. We're here drinking whiskey. Talking about the mass and the divine liturgy and the other mass, <laughs> the one that drives me to drink. <laughs> it does not. Uh, mm-hmm. hmm. <laughs> well, guys, how are you doing? You doing good? We're doing great. Uh, we got buried in snow today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not like uh, not like our friends in Newfoundland, though. Did you see that thing I shared on Facebook? They, I did. Uh, that was insane. They got walloped hard. Yeah. 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 And it was coming down pretty steady here. So like I, I'm surprised we only got what we did, but I totally expect to wake up in the morning going, I'm not leaving my house today because mm. I can't. So, you yeah. know, we'll see. We're so, gonna make it. Yeah. We're not wimps. Yeah. We're Canadians. Some of us aren't. Yeah. So this podcast, we are continuing our series called the liturgical breakdown this is part three we're going to be talking about the asparagus and the sprinkling rite uh and the prayers at the foot of the altar that's what we're intending to do we'll see how far we get we intended to talk about those last episode then we talked about the vesting prayers for like an hour (laughs) yeah it was pretty good though (laughs) i like i liked it. it it was fun it was a lot of fun there was just that much stuff to talk about, though. I didn't know the, how much stuff there was going to be to talk about, especially with the Eastern comparison. So, mm-hmm. yeah, awesome stuff. Really cool. Truth. So it's it's interesting, too, because we because we went through that, we can actually build on what we've talked about, uh, which is kind of cool, because mm-hmm. I think I I came to realize something today, which we'll talk about when we get into the topic uh, about the, about the asparagus that, yeah, I hadn't clued into again with the Latin mass, with the, the mass of, of, uh, of the ages, I'm always discovering new things. Like there's all these like different things that you don't necessarily pick up on or uh, that you, you might see, but just kind of take for granted. And it's like, when you find out what that is, you're like, oh yeah, that's sweet. Anyway. It's so it's so cool to have like that depth there yeah. to explore. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So speaking about depth and the lack of it, before we get into it, so did you guys read that article from LifeSite about the forty four professors at a quote unquote Catholic university that uh they all protested against the uh, showing of the movie Unplanned, which is the uh, story of uh, Abby Johnson, who uh, was in Planned Parenthood as a director of a clinic and uh, ended up coming to realize what abortion really did and turned her life around. And yeah, now she's started her own kind of ministry of helping people get out of the abortion industry. Anyway, those 44 profs. Yeah, I saw this headline. Um, 
I saw the headline and I kind of just shook my head because like this is our local Catholic university. Yeah. I don't know. All those words are in air quotes, but uh, (laughs) and unfortunately we're at the point with Kings now that this isn't a surprise. No, no. So yeah. So, so the article will put it in the show notes. It says here, um, 44 faculty members of a Catholic university in Canada have demanded the school apologize for allowing campus ministry to show the wildly successful pro-life film unplanned. It goes on to say the demand for an apology came in a letter from faculty members this past Wednesday and was read addressed to the college principal, David Malloy. Um, it described what the faculty called the furor and fear expressed by the school community over the fact that the pro-life film was screen was screened on campus. In response, Malloy said the school, quote, does not have any official position on abortion, end quote. Wow. Despite the fact that it claims to be a Catholic institution. Yeah. I actually like saw this issue about um it being the movie being screened at the university from our local news. And I was relieved to say the least that I saw people that were not pro-life saying it's a Catholic, you know, it's a Catholic institution. It's a Christian school. They're showing a movie that has Christian themes. They should be allowed to do it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah. And and that's not like, you know, the most important thing there. You know, we're allowed to expose the truth as it is. Um, and like we're allowed to expose the evilness of abortion for what mm-hmm. it is. And we should be able to do that with our movies. We should be able to show those movies and show it at campuses that supposedly should also have the same values. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have a Catholic chaplaincy on yeah. campus, quote unquote. There's a lot of Catholics that go there. I know of a few that are very good Catholics that go there. You know, but for the record, Principal Malloy, Catechism of the Catholic Church, the current catechism, says in number 2271, since the first century, the church has affirmed the moral evil of every procured abortion. This teaching has not changed and remains unchangeable. Direct abortion, that is to say abortion willed either as an end or a means, is gravely contrary to the moral law. And quote, you don't have an opinion on this, Principal Malloy? The school, as a Catholic institution, doesn't have an opinion on this? Are you kidding me? The church makes it very clear. It's okay. He was just speaking a foreign language. I think I have my uh, modernist translator here. And it turns out what he said was money, 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 government money, 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 money. Oh, okay. Does it make more sense now? That makes sense. That makes sense. So no problem. But here's the the mind-blowing thing about this. Kings is connected in a lot of ways to the seminary, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're yeah, literally they take down courses the st- there. Yeah. Right. Like you're literally down the street and you don't have an opinion on abortion. You literally have like a grotesque 
albeit, but you have a statue of Jesus hanging on the wall of your institution on the outside, right? Like, like how? How? It's okay. That's modernist Jesus. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the feel that's good Jesus. Hippie Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't look like a hippie. He looks like a zombie. But you know, it's actually terrible. That's one of the worst yeah. statues ever. Yeah. It's embarrassing. It, it's it's embarrassing to think that he that him speaking on behalf of a Catholic school would say that. Like it's, it, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. It's hugely embarrassing. Stop calling yourself Catholic. Yeah. 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 This is just doesn't make any sense. You know, it would this be better is why, to defend and say we're allowed to show whatever we want. Yeah. Like yeah. this is this is why when I was a young teenager, like even before I was in university, I knew I was like, there's no way in hell that I'm gonna go to any Catholic university in Canada because they're all garbage. Mm-hmm. And at that time, our lady seat of wisdom didn't even have accreditation. So there really was no like chance that I was going to go there and be able to get a degree. So I was like, like I'm going to go to Franciscan because at least I can know that they're at least Catholic and, mm-hmm. you know, and they're a good Catholic institution for the most part. And, but yeah, it's just, yeah. Just saying like, it hurts like it's solid painful. Catholics that are discerning to, or, you know, con- pondering the possibility of going to Kings strong, devout pro-life Catholics are going to read what you said. Yep. But they, I don't want to give my money to somebody that's wishy-washy, but that's I the thing. Know. They're not, it's, they're not looking to appeal to Catholics. If they were, they would have a more robust uh, offering for Catholics on campus. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no actual drive for them to become a real Catholic institution. Like don't, I mean, they ostensibly, they want to be, they look Catholic. They've got mass on campus and blah, blah, blah. But do you really think they care? And maybe if father Michael Bayshard ever hears this, like maybe you can prove me wrong. I'd love for you to show me the fruits of the campus ministry at Kings. How many vocations do you have like that are coming out of your school? Shots fired but it's true. Like how many go on to have faithful Catholic marriages? How many go on to serve the church in a real practical way and, uh, you know, and remain faithfully Orthodox. Let's go. Going back to even just the screening is people were lining up and like buying tickets in advance to go to theaters to see this movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, Julie and I got to see it. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, let's talk about the academic process, right? I mean, if if you want to talk about being an academic and whatnot, having the ability to look at all sides, you should be willing to allow at least this to be shown in the in the spirit of you know academic freedom, quote unquote. And rest in peace to that concept of actually being objective and allowing alternative views to speak. That is absolutely dead in academia. Yeah, it's true. It's, and it's scary. Like, I mean, you just have to look at somebody like Jordan Peterson, for example. And you're like, dude, 
he just says one thing and suddenly like he's getting death threats like mm. come on mm-hmm. come on so yeah hey have you guys heard of um the asperges <laughs> mike's very excited about this S- speaking about washing our hands of this topic <laughs> yeah yeah so you want to get into the asperges and the sprinkling right and all of that yeah is there an eastern sprinkling right that you're going to talk about brooke i'm i have a washing of hands can we can we talk about the videos that you see of the sprinkling rites of the Eastern Rite, where they have like literal branches of stuff, and they yeah, just I love those douse did people. Did we experience that when we went? No, I don't think we did. I don't think they do it at like the beginning of every Sunday Mass, like you see at the no Latin High Mass. Is it but, feast days um, or is it if like a bishop is present? I have no idea. I have no idea. Okay. I presume not... I presume it has something to do with Easter, maybe something to do with Christmas, maybe. but I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. So yeah, so looking at uh the Eastern Rite, um like they do use holy water, but not they don't have it in a it's not used in every liturgy. Um, there is a big blessing on the Feast of the Theophany uh, for them. Um, and they do tend to use holy water, like for the blessing of their houses and different things. Um, and they do have some in their narthex, um, but they don't use it for like like we would do, where we would just have like multiple receptacles um, where you just go and bless yourself with the holy water. They don't really do that. Um, mm. Yeah. And also don't really have an Asperges at the start of, no, or any equivalent to that at the start of divine liturgy. No. Okay. Um, but yeah, so in the, in the Tridentine mass, there's this thing called the Asperges may, and that comes from Asperges may domine, hisopo et mundabor, lavabis may et supernivum, So thou shalt sprinkle me, O Lord, with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall become whiter than snow. So what happens is the priest comes out from the the sacristy or vesting room and comes out and approaches the altar, and uh, this, this psalm is chanted as he goes and he blesses first himself and the and those in choir and then he comes through the congregation and blesses the people he also blesses the altar i believe as well you see him go three times towards the altar um so yeah so and again talking about that importance of that need for preparation and repentance so the priest comes out and the first thing that the priest does is there is the atonement of the psalm and a reminder for our need of repentance, right? Because it goes on to say, Miserere mei Deus, secunda magnum misericordiam tuum. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy great mercy, right? <laughs> um, it's he doesn't come out and say, Good morning, everyone. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. He um, makes a note in um he makes a note in uh the Latin Mass Explained, uh when Senior Mormon does that often non-Catholics look at this sprinkling rite as something very strange and don't understand why we would do this. Mm-hmm. Um and really it is all about preparing for mass in that uh mindset of repentance when he's talking about the psalm he has a really good quote that i think kind of sums it up um here it is he says uh, the people are about to assist at the great sacrifice of the new law and they realize that a soul steeped in sin is an abomination in the sight of god Hence, mindful of their many sins, they cry out to God for mercy, as David did after after he had sinned with Bathsheba, Bathsabi, <laughs> <laughs> Bathsheba. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's different in this book. It threw me off. It's spelled Bathsabi. I'm not used to that mm. spelling, well, but yeah, I know well, it's Bathsheba. Yeah, all in the normally dreams, right? It's all the all the titles are different, right? Like Isaiah <laughs> instead of Isaiah and Elias. Yeah. I guess I haven't read that name in do I Rames before. Funny. Just uh, used to the like RSV type spelling. Yeah. But yeah, that's the kind of language you don't really hear these days in modern church documents or liturgy or anything. An abomination in the sight of God, a sinful soul. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That's the attitude that traditionally we're meant to have at the start of Mass, this recognizing the gravity of our sins and the very serious need for repentance. And so you see again and again, um, you're going to see repeated at the start of the traditional Latin Mass, these prayers begging for forgiveness, starting with the asperges and then going all the way through the prayers at the altar or at the foot of the altar. Right. And um, coming back to what we were saying in episode two, there's always going to be uh, a big correlation between what we see in the Tridentine mass and what would happen in temple Judaism, right? If a person Mm. was ritually unclean, before they enter into the temple, they would have to be made clean, mm-hmm. right? Before they would be able to approach God, they would need to be made clean. So, in essence, this is kind of hearkening towards that that reality because only in a few moments will the priest say introibo, uh, or introibo <laughs> at altare day, right? I will go into the altar of God, right? Or I will go unto the altar of God. So that reminder of that, that we are entering into the temple and that we need to be prepared. Something that um, I learned today that I hadn't uh, really heard or really realized. um, And again, coming back to, we'll get more into it in when we start talking about the gospel and the placement of the missile and things like that. You know how 
the priest wears a maniple around his left wrist. We talked about that uh, in the last episode. Um, and that maniple, the priest removes at the time of the gospel, right? As a sign that essentially the sacrifice of the mass is being put on hold and, and he goes and he does the homily. The priest, when he comes and does the asperges, is not wearing a chasuble. He's only wearing the cope, which looks kind of like a cape that comes in and buckles in the front. Um, and he's wearing a stole that is crossed, essentially, in front of him uh, across his chest. So that's a reminder to us as well that Mass hasn't really fully started yet. Um, mm. That mm-hmm. the sacrifice has not begun again, I kind of hadn't really thought about that, you know, that he's not wearing a maniple. He's not like, he's like the sacrifice has not begun yet. Right. Um, so it's just that preparation again, right. We are preparing ourselves to reproach the altar with the priest. And so, yeah. So I, I just thought that was very cool. Mike, you had a, uh, something to say about, Oh yeah. I was going to talk about uh, hyssop. Just because it uh, mentions being sprinkled with hyssop right at the beginning of the asperges, and that's not a familiar modern term, but uh, yeah, it's hearkening back to Exodus, right? The uh, hyssop plant is what they used to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts mm-hmm. in Exodus, and uh, I believe they also used it to sprinkle the people with blood yeah that sounds, yeah that sounds during right. the sealing of the covenant um so yeah that's the hyssop plant and um, and wasn't our lord given um the sponge with gall on a, hi- oh, branch on of a hyssop? hyssop branch you're right yep i forgot about that one so yeah. very a lot cool. of scriptural parallels behind the mention of hyssop. Yeah. Um, and again, we're talking about the um, coming back to the, the Paschal antiphon, which is different than the asperges, which is done at every other time in the church year. But the Vidi Aquam, which prays, I saw water flowing from the right side of the temple. Alleluia. And all they to whom that water came were saved, and they shall say, Alleluia, Alleluia. Praise the Lord, because he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Um, that, that in particular, I think, was is so beautiful to use during Paschal time, because our mm-hmm. Lord is the temple that was pierced and water flowed from his side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just listening to uh, Brad Petrie talk about this so recently. Um, I was listening to the audiobook of uh, The Case for Jesus. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, he talks about that and a little detail that I had kind of forgotten about was um, the blood and water that flowed from his side. Apparently, this is uh, a reference to the temple as well, right? Because um, 
during the sacrifice of thousands of lambs at the Passover, they, uh, they had a special drain in the temple for the blood from these lambs, and it went down into a spring of water. So you would see at the side of the temple where the spring drained out, blood and water pouring from the side of the temple. Yeah, because there was yeah. so much blood in the temple that they had to wash it, right? It was just a bloodbath. I mean, there was just they were just killing lambs like one after the other after the other. So there was just blood everywhere. And so right, they'd have to get for rid of the blood. Basically every family you'd need a lamb, right? So there were thousands and thousands of of lambs at Passover. Yeah. And all in the temple, right? Yeah. So, so cool. Yeah. That's if you never kind of knew why blood and water, why is it so important? That's, I think, one of the most important things. It's the illustration of Christ as the temple. Right. Because that's why yeah. the the centurion, right, cried out when he when saw that, my Lord and my God, because he saw that fulfillment, right? Well, he said, truly, you're the yeah. son of, okay. he was the yeah. son of God. Yeah, right? yeah. That was Thomas. That said, oh, sorry, my, my Lord, my, my bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, my B, my B. Yeah, mixing up the two stories. Pretty close. I'm, I'm a little tired. Hashtag baby dad life, but yeah. Hi, little tired. I'm dad. <laughs> um, yeah. So got him. Yeah. So coming back to the the prayer though. So after. After both the Vidyakuam and the Asperges, the priest prays, Hear us, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, Eternal God, and vouchsafe to send thy holy angel from heaven to guard, cherish, protect, visit, and defend all that are assembled in this place through Christ our Lord. Um, Amen. The, I, I, again, this is something that was removed in the new rite. Um, so... And some, I was listening to a talk today that was saying like, you know, it's so important that there be protection around the people that are attending this event. The early church and and the church through the centuries understood that, that this was a big deal. And so that recognition of the spiritual work that was about to take place and the uh, impact that it had and the uh, that need for protection um mm-hmm. so that was now, that was greatly minimalized in the new right yeah now could someone say well all that's necessary is you know having the holy water you know at the doors so parishioners can bless themselves or you know while we do the curie you know before um before we receive the Eucharist, could they not say, like, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Could they not say, well, that's all that's needed. Well, I mean, they can say that. Yeah. They they can definitely say that. But the thing is, there's no, then you say, well, what's the point of having any of our prayers that we say? Like the only, again, it comes to that reductionist Mm -hmm. uh, kind of mindset, right? Which is, it's never been a Catholic thing. Um, and yeah, the liturgy is properly, I think, um, steeped in riches of prayer, right? It's yeah. not that we go into Mass with the intention of 
praying the bare minimum that God will let us get away with. The Mass has all these prayers for the spiritual benefit of the people. And like each one of them, I think, has value. And I know you agree, and you're just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We don't do things just because they look cool. Yeah. Or because it makes us feel fancy. It's Even because they're they necessary. Do look cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like so again, the this also to the the reminder and that request for God to send an angel of protection. Um mm-hmm. Protestants mm-hmm. don't do that. They I mean, generally speaking, they don't say, you know, like they might say like you know, the angels will pray with us or sing with us. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't hear about them asking their guard. You don't hear them talking about their guardian angel uh, or uh, the need to, yeah, uh, to have an angel protect an event or, a th- you know, or some place or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really do that. Um no. And I and I so find when, that interesting how that kind of carries over into the new rite. When uh, things Protestants don't do get removed, it smells like Bunini to me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so are we going to go through the new sprinkling rite? Yeah. So that's... And talk about when it happens and stuff? Yeah. Let me, uh, let me pull it up. So... Again, something that it needs to be noted is that for the new mass, if a sprinkling rite occurs, it replaces the penitential rite. So in the old mass, that's not the case. And so, and it happens within the mass. So like the, the sign of the cross has already occurred or sorry, maybe it hasn't occurred. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but at least the the mass has technically begun. Not only does it not replace the confidior, but there's still multiple confidiors, even after the sprinkling, right? Exactly. exactly. And in pre-55, there's even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I don't know what Brooke would say, because she's kind of the uh, the divine liturgy lady, but... Definitely if you, not if you, an expert. If you were to say to St. John Chrysostom, hey, if it's cool with you, we're just going to not say Lord have mercy at our mass today. <laughs> He'd probably like throw a thurible at my head. Those are all the bells. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he his uh, response would be, okay, we're going to pray for mercy for everyone but you. Also get out. No pierogies for you. His response would be, okay, boomer. (laughs) (laughs) So it says here, okay, so the introductory rites in the Novus Ordo show that they begin with the sign of the cross. Then there's the customary greeting of, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I almost said Holy Ghost. Funny. And then it says says here, then follows uh, the penitential rite, 
or sorry, the penitential act to which the priest mm-hmm. invites the faithful saying, brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. Um, it says here, though, from time to time on Sundays, especially in Easter time, instead of the customary penitential act, the blessing and sprinkling of water may, may take place as a reminder of baptism. So then it says here, if this rite is celebrated during Mass, it takes the place of the usual penitential act at the beginning of Mass. Uh, after the greeting, the priest stands at his chair and faces the people with a vessel containing the water to be blessed before him. He calls upon the people to pray in these or similar words. Oof, I hate when it says these are similar words. Right. <laughs> That's the um, invitation for Father Bob Boomer to say whatever he wants. What's exactly. that one that they they often did at the sprinkling? Oh gosh. Huh? Like like for this so, part? Yeah. Sometimes there there would be a song that Oh, the, that's not replacing these particular words. Oh, okay. That's just a, yeah, I know what you mean. The choir would always sing a particular song during sprinkling. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. With joy, you shall draw water. That's it. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, but get this. So I'm reading this here. So it says, um, so afterwards, so after he does the blessing, I'm not going to read it because it's long. It doesn't have any correlation with the Latin mass. Can you read like the first line or something just so we have an idea? So yeah, so there's there's multiple options, right? Dear dear brethren, of there are. <laughs> dear, dear brethren, let us humbly beseech the Lord our God to bless this water he has created which will be sprinkled on us as a memorial of our baptism. May he help us by his grace to mm-hmm. remain faithful to the spirit we have received. Possibly a parallel to the normal blessing of holy water ish ish but it does say here so after he's prayed the prayer um it says afterward taking the aspergillum the priest sprinkles himself and the ministers um then the clergy and the people moving through the church if appropriate meanwhile meanwhile one of the following chants or another appropriate chant is sung the first one is antiphon one taken some from psalm 51 which says, and I quote, <clears throat> Sprinkle me with hyssop, O Lord, and I shall be cleansed. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's that's it. Um, or yeah. So, option one is do the traditional psalm yep. um, from the Asperges. And during <sighs> Easter time, it says, first antiphon, I saw water flowing from the temple. From its right hand side, Alleluia. So again, they're taking they're taking from the old right there. But again, there's that, or there's five other options, you know. And then outside of Easter time, there's three different options. So anyway, I just find and that. And then there's the most common option, which is or another appropriate song. <laughs> Yeah. which which is exactly what they which i mean okay if we're talking about a parish that does the latin mass or that does the the novus ordo to the t you you will see this kind of stuff done right um mm-hmm. 
it's so we're not we're not necessarily bashing that okay but the the problem is that the unicorn mass as uh not michael forrest as uh taylor marshall taylor marshall he refers Mm. to it right um it's like it's so rare that you you most likely will never see it and most parishes always opt for the another option you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's true yeah that's what we grew up with for sure yeah, so if we want to think about the best case scenario of the Novus Ordo rubrics here, you're you're preserving the psalms that are used in the TLM on Sunday. Um, but if you want to do it every Sunday, you're replacing your penitential rite every Sunday every with Sunday. this. Yeah. So and that, you can't and I, really do it every Sunday or you're never doing the penitential right. Mm-hmm. So if you're the unicorn perfect Novus Ordo, which one do you do? You kind of have to alternate, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. tough. Yeah. Like, um, I, I went down a rabbit hole, guys. So. Oh, no, I just saw what's on your phone. <laughs> I was trying to find, like, what songs are often used at the Novus Ordo for the sprinkling rite. I found this great website, Six Super Songs for the Sprinkling Rite. <laughs> <laughs> so, Come to the River, Massive Glory by Bob Hurd. Um, it gets better. Don't worry, guys. I doubt it. <laughs> Grace Like a Wave by Elevation Worship. Let the River Flow by Daryl Evans. Oh, no. Springs of Water by Mike Stanley. Uh, sprinkling right from the Mass of St. Jude. Where with joy you shall draw water. There it is. There it is. The one we heard every Sunday. Six super well, songs. Like not every Sunday, <laughs> but <laughs> when they would do a drink Easter for a couple Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. elevation worship, not Catholic. Yep. Yeah. So not Catholic. Just for the record. Um, and I don't there's, know who songs for mass, Protestant praise and worship. There's also a Marty, uh, Marty Hoogan ones, uh, Springs of Water, Bless the Lord, but I, I couldn't find the lyrics for it. I don't know if Google wanted me to, <laughs> but uh, they kept wanting, recommending me to listen, and I just didn't want to. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Ish. Um, yeah. So, does any other thoughts on the Asperges or? So, yeah, I, well, I guess we should say, so at the end of the asparagus, um, or actually maybe I'll backtrack. So as one of the things that I noticed too, that's kind of neat in a difference between the Latin mass and the Novus Ordo, even the unicorn Novus Ordos that I've seen is that the, during the sprinkling rite, if you want to call it that they go through and when the people are sprinkled, they will kneel to receive it. Um, Mm -hmm. Kneeling is a very important thing and a wonderful change that, uh, or not wonderful change, wonderful thing that has not changed uh, in the old rite. And so, you know, whether it be you're receiving holy water from the priest, whether it be you're receiving a palm on Palm Sunday, whether it be you're receiving a candle on Candlemas, you kneel to receive it. Um, just like you receive our Lord in the most mm-hmm. blessed sacrament. Um, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. a sign of reverence, 
right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, if our Lord is coming by and oh. blessing you, you kneel for that blessing. I just remembered another thing I wanted to mention. Speaking of like uh, gestures of reverence, that uh, moment during the Asperges when the priest and the two servers are walking down and he's sprinkling. And then um, when the uh, three persons of the Holy Trinity are named, yeah, he turns around and bows toward the altar. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most obvious kind of teaching moments of that tradition of bowing one's head at the mention of the three persons of the Holy Trinity mm-hmm. and at the names of Jesus and Mary in the liturgy. Yeah. Um, which is an amazing practice that has kind of died out. And I think one of the reasons is you don't see it demonstrated mm-hmm. by the priests. That's true. And that moment in the Asperges is just the most obvious, the best demonstration that the priest is doing that because it's built right into the mass. Every mass halfway down the aisle, he knows he's going to have to stop and turn around and bow at that, uh, that part of the uh, mass. There's a, there's a significance to him almost stopping everything that he's doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the, uh, it kind of reminds me of like the still small voice, you know, the, uh, how the majesty of God just kind of stills everything. Right. Mm -hmm. The name. You stop (laughs) working to, uh, pay homage there. Yep. And what's cool is that it's not just the priest that bows, right? The congregation along with the servers, they bow with him, Mm -hmm. which I think Mm -hmm. is beautiful. Um, and we'll, we'll get into a little bit too of that, that need for the bow, uh, later on. But I mean, even, even so there are multiple times, even in our, in the, in the Novus Ordo where it is prescribed in the rubrics that you should bow your head or that you should do a profound bow that, a lot of the parishes do not do. The unicorn parishes generally do, <laughs> but yeah, I, I find that very interesting. Anyway, so uh, once the sprinkling rite is done, the priest proceeds to the altar. He finishes up with that prayer, invoking the angel to come in and protect himself and the and the people gathered. Um, and then he says "Amen" and he. Uh, proceeds to get dressed for mass. So he goes up and that's when he goes and he puts on the chasuble um, and goes and returns back to the foot of the altar to finish uh, or to begin the mass proper and the mass of the catechumens. Yeah. And the first line is that one you said earlier in Troibo Adeltare Dei. Well, before that, it's right. he he well the sign be, of the cross first yeah right? does the sign of the cross so in the name of the father son and the holy ghost amen sorry i misspoke <laughs> sign of the cross of course it's right. first <laughs> um we, i had i wanted to tell a story about that 
line. The intro. I mentioned this to you earlier. Intro Ebo. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah, let's hear it. So uh, Chris and I in the summer were uh, on a trip to a music festival. We had a, a uh, another podcast about this, but um, uh, one of the nights on the trip, I think it was in St. Joseph, Miss Michigan. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was after dinner and we uh, decided to go to adoration, right? Um, so we go into the adoration chapel. Um, well, not into the adoration chapel, into the church building. And we walk towards where the adoration chapel is. We go up to the door, the door's closed and we hear someone's in there <laughs> playing like, what was it? Like some Bob Rice oh, or something. Our God is an awesome God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Mike and I just like look at each other like, oh no. So there's obviously some like praise, praise and, and worship thing going on in there. So, yeah. Um but anyways, the part where it becomes relevant is when we were leaving. We, well, there was a priest. We tu- we turned tail at that point. We were just like, <laughs> we out, we out. <laughs> There was a priest heading in when we were leaving. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, young guy, young, super young priest. Yeah. He was definitely younger than us, right? Yep. Like he looked younger than us anyway. He and yeah. he said he was like newly ordained for like a year or something. A few years. Yeah. And he'd been in Rome studying. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. And, uh, what was it? We were, we were, either asking him if he knew what was going on or, and he didn't know and we're telling him. And I think Chris, you said like, it was definitely not uh, like trad music or anything. Definitely not trad (laughs) music. Praise and worship. You dropped the trad (laughs) word or something like that. And he's like, Oh, like (laughs) he kind of gave us this look. And, uh, we we realized he was a priest who does Latin mass and he recognized that we were like Latin mass goers. Um, yeah. But how did he put it? He was just like, oh, I saw in that moment, like I wanted to say like a secret code, like, oh, in Troibo Adontare Day. Could you, uh, if, if you're the priest that uh, talked to them, can you? Say hi. Yeah. That'd be so great. Uh, he <laughs> if was, he ever he was hears really this cool. podcast, it'll be amazing. Yeah. He was such a cool priest. Oh man. He was so great. And like, and so young too. And like he was saying how he had been in the diocese of Rome offering the traditional Latin mass to the people there because it's so like the diocese of Rome is, it's really hard to find a Latin mass there. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, shall we continue on? Yeah, back to the mass. Story yeah. over. Yeah. So intro altar at altari day. So I will go unto the altar of God. I had um I had a really cool point here um from uh Dom Garanger. Uh so Dom Garanger says the psalm of which we are now speaking was not in the more ancient missals. 
Its usage was established by Pope Pius V in 1568. When we hear the priest saying this psalm, we understand to whom it refers. It refers to our Lord, and it is in his name that the priest recites it. We are told this by the first verse, Ab homine iniquio et doloso erui mei, deliver me from the unjust and deceitful man. So, well, that we got a little ahead of that, but um, the we realize here what essentially what Dom Garanger is pointing out is the fact that when the priest comes and approaches the altar, he approaches it in the name of Christ as altar Christus, as another, as Ooh. another Christ. So when he goes on to say, you know, where he talks about judge me, O God, and distinguish my cause from the nation that is not holy, deliver me from the unjust and deceitful man. That is our Lord praying those prayers which I think is really wow. cool. I had um, never heard that. I no. hadn't either. Isn't that neat? Um, yeah. But yeah, so we so we got a little bit ahead. So he says, I will go on to the altar of God. And then the response of the servers is, to God who giveth joy to my youth. Um, again, the prayer mm-hmm. of, uh, of David, right? Yeah, this is all Psalm 42. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then and then he goes into the Utica May, right? The judge me, O God, and distinguish my cause from the nation that is not holy. Deliver me from the unjust and deceitful man. You were talking before about that uh the weight of that prayer as a priest, like how mm-hmm. insane that is. Right, too? Yeah, I mean you have to uh have guts as a priest to go up there and say that to the Lord. Like, uh, I often think of that prayer and I think like, I, I almost understand the temptation to remove it from the mass as (laughs) you know, like, yeah, it's, it's scary. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be a priest to who, uh, you know, was hiding some serious sin or something and going up at mass and praying that psalm. There would be sweat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I actually if there wasn't sweat, that's also a bad thing. <laughs> True. True. Yeah. Like you should definitely be feeling it when you go up there and say that. Um I I was listening to um Charles Coulomb today talk about this. And he was saying that this prayer in particular, uh, it actually, it is the first time in the liturgy where it hints at the doctrine of the church with regards to extra ecclesium nulla salus, because Mm -hmm. it delineates between the nation that is holy and the nation that is not right mm-hmm. so when we talk about the nation that is holy right when david was talking about that he was talking about the the people of israel right mm-hmm. but in our case right the 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 jewish people the the people of israel were succeeded by the church right mm-hmm. the, so it is the new holy nation and outside of that 
right? There is the church and then there is the nations, right? So um, in the Latin, right? Utica me Deus et discerne causa meum de gente, non sancta. So de gente, right, is the nations. That's where we get the word Gentiles from. Yeah, the nations. Yeah. But again, cool. let's get rid of any idea or any thought that there might be a difference between you and me between yeah the between the church and the nations yeah like i was saying there's a a positive and a negative to having that scary prayer for the priest you know that's a uh like an encouragement to avoid sin and it's also a guard against certain ways of thinking about the relationship of the church and the world you're not going to go endorse the un's 2030 goals in your homily when you've just prayed for god to distinguish you from the nation that is not holy i mean maybe you are if you're a really bad priest but i mean yeah uh, if you're if you're meaning that's every pretty word clearly you say. contradictory yeah it's true I, I also I had something here, to point out to backtracking a little bit. So uh, the idea of where he says to God who giveth joy to my youth, but then he goes on to say uh, after the, the beginning of the Utica may for thou, O God, O God art my strength. Why hast thou cast me off? And why do I go sorrowful whilst the enemy afflicteth me? Send forth thy light and thy truth. They have conducted me and brought me in unto thy holy hill and into thy tabernacles. Right. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, and I will go unto the, he says again, and I will go unto the altar, altar of God, to God who giveth joy to my youth. To thee, O God, my God, I will give praise upon the harp. Why art thou sad, my soul, and why dost thou disquiet, in, disquiet me? Hope in God, for I will still give praise to him the salvation of my countenance and my God. Again, from Dom Garanger. So he says, so the psalmist, right, David, he expresses astonishment at his soul being sad and at once cheers himself by rousing his hope in God. Hence, his song is full of gladness. It is on account of the joy, which is the characteristic of this psalm, that Holy Church would have it omitted in Masses for the Dead, in which we are about to pray for the repose of a soul whose departure from this life leaves us in uncertainty and grief. It is omitted also during Passion Tide, in which season the church is all absorbed in the sufferings of her divine spouse, and these preclude all joy. It's, I mean, that's really cool. Um, but I, one of the things mm-hmm. I wanted to point out was what Dom Garage said there with regards to the masses for the dead, um, where he says, uh, in which we are about to pray for the repose of a soul whose departure from this life leaves us in uncertainty and grief. One of the things that I find that have been such a grace it, for me looking at the, the masses of the old rite is that they don't, they don't try to pretend they, mm-hmm. they don't, um, they don't sugarcoat things. They don't whitewash things in the new rite. 
funeral masses, the, the priest will wear white as if it's Easter, as if it's a, a great feast. But traditionally, the church has never done that. She wears black on days of, you know, for masses of the dead. Why? Because we're grieving. We're grieving with the people the people who have just lost their loved ones that have no idea for sure or not, whether they've made it or not, whether, (laughs) you know, and they've, they've lost their loved one. I mean, everybody else in the church is wearing black yet. The Mm -hmm. church is yet, yet the priest is up there and the deacon maybe, and they're all wearing white. It's a little, little bit like, a contradiction you know what i mean and again yeah, it's it, the opposite of what you'd expect it's like the church is the only one not taking death seriously yeah yeah but it lends to that mindset that oh well you know there's a reasonable hope for this person that they're saved despite that they lived in mortal sin their whole lives and they've haven't been to church in 30 years etc cetera, etc cetera, whatever it be you know or for the average Catholic, the idea that there's complete certainty yeah. and we don't need to pray for them because they're in heaven already. Right. And we know for sure somehow. Yeah. We know in our heart. <laughs> I mean, this, I'm, I'm just, this yeah. doesn't work like that. <laughs> but, yeah. but again, coming back to that Protestant kind of influence, you know, mm-hmm. even just in the the news recently, this week or last week, right? Toby Mac released his new song uh, in honor of his son who had died. And, you know, in that song, he says, God has you in heaven, but I have you in my heart. I feel bad that they, that he has to, you know, feel that like, like we don't know it's where not his like son not- is, you know, like yeah. that his son has nobody to pray for him because his dad just assumes that he's in heaven. I don't know. That's just yeah. my thought. It's, it's very scary. Am I getting off topic? I'm sorry. <laughs> Brooke's got this. Yeah, look. totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it kind of <laughs> relates to, to what we're saying though. Right. I mean, um, yeah, especially in the beginning, we recognize that need for hope. We rouse that in our souls. The the priest does that um, and prays for that, uh, but also recognizes, like, at the same time, the human condition. Right? Why are you cast down, my soul? Because not all of us are coming to mass necessarily, having a great week, either. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. I find that yeah. important. The other thing that's pointed out in uh, Mormon is uh, the um, the parallel with David and the church. The Psalm, uh, in Psalm 42, he's asking to be freed from the attacks of the enemy. And Mormon kind of says, this is kind of asking to be set free from sin and from temptation. So just as David was to um, piously offer the sacrifice, the priest is doing the same, right? 
And uh, he says, in the spiritual sense, the psalm applies to the just man who in the trials of the present life longs to leave this world and go to his heavenly country. That's kind of the, uh, like the ultimate being set free from the unjust nation and the uh, deceitful man. Ultimately, we're never going to be completely set free from evil in this life. We might get super close if we're a cloistered monk and we're really, really holy or something, but you know what I mean? On this earth, there's always evil, sin and temptation. So yeah, very true. I don't know where to go with that, but that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. How do we transition? Well, yeah. Like I was just going to say too, before we do that. So at the beginning of mass in the Novus Ordo, right? So it begins in the name of the father, the son of the Holy spirit and immediately goes to greet the people. So the first words are not truly addressed to God, but to the people. Whereas in the, in the Tridentine mass, it's addressed right to God. He walks out, he, you know, he comes to the foot of the altar and does the sign of the cross. And immediately he's talking to God on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. And then, and then again, like when it comes to the penitential act, if they're not doing the sprinkling, right. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. The reason why they're saying that, this is my hot take, but the reason why they're saying that is because they haven't prepared yet. They're, we have just spent like the last 10 minutes in preparation. The priest has also been preparing in the sacristy, getting himself vested and doing the prayers. You know, the people have now received their holy water. They have recalled their need for forgiveness and asked for God to have mercy on them. And they have, you know, begun to ask to be prepared to to go unto the altar of God, to the God who gives the joy gives joy to their youth. But right here they're just like, Well, let's well, let's prepare ourselves now. <laughs> I don't know. I that's my hot take. <laughs> It is kind of, uh, it's an oof. That's all I can say. It's an oof. <laughs> is, it, uh, is it just me? But sometimes I get annoyed where they just say the, uh, like they say the penitential, right? Where you you were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. And then there's like something else and something else. And sometimes those are not by the book. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're, I don't know made up ad-libbed ad-libbed sometimes they're ad-libbed sometimes they're done by the choir yeah so it's the it's the choir that's addressing god instead of the priest because the a lot of times what happens is the priest shuts his mouth at that point i mean he might sing but sometimes the priest doesn't even sing so has he yeah and if he does he doesn't sing the uh, verse parts that the choir is doing right now could someone say well it doesn't matter who says it as long as we're all saying it together or as long as it's being said period they could say that if they were dumb (laughs) be charitable (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, I said that to be funny. Yeah. Smart people could say that, but they'd still be wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, the priest's ministry and his uh, his duty to pray for the people. Yeah. That's the purpose for which God gives him the grace of the priesthood to say it doesn't matter if the priest prays or if someone else prays is mm-hmm. just to diminish the work of God and the priest. That's exactly why he exists. And and it's the priest that, you know, by his office is able to absolve us from those sins. That's right. That's right. Like we need him Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we, we can't diminish that part of his office because it's, it's super important. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It was commanded by Jesus to his apostles. Yeah. Yeah. But that's getting into the Kyrie, right? That's like way ahead of us. Yeah. Yeah. But even, but coming quickly back to the divine liturgy, maybe we can mention that too. Um, I don't want to tread on Brooke, but like the way they start the divine liturgy is, is, is different too. Do you, do you like do you have the beginning like the first prayers of the divine liturgy there Brooke? Um, we have it in this doc that's on our screen if I can click yeah, for a second. Yeah. Um, they have a psalm at the beginning that's like really reminiscent of Psalm 42 even though it's a different psalm. Mm-hmm. The tone of it is very very similar. Yeah. I think you should read it. Mm-hmm. So um it says here The priest and deacon then bow to the choirs on either side and then go into the altar. The priest by the southern door and the deacon deacon by the northern door saying, I will come into your house. I will bow towards your holy temple in fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies direct my way in your sight. For in their mouths there is no truth. Their heart is in vain. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They dealt deceitfully with their tongues. Judge them, O God, and let them fall by their own counsels. According to the multitude of their wickedness, cast them out. For they provoked you, O Lord. And let all them be glad that hope in you. They shall rejoice forever, and you will dwell in them. And all that say, and all they that love your name shall glory in you. For you will bless the righteous, O Lord. You have crowned us with the shield of your goodwill. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll kiss the altar and... Uh, and make some make three small bows before the table. The priest will kiss the holy gospel, and the deacon kisses the table according to custom. They both kiss the hand cross, and they both say, "Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner." This is before the vesting. Everything is in a different order. Yeah, Sorry. but like even even at the f- formally the beginning of the divine liturgy, to the first thing that they say. Um, I have it here. Like, so they come out and the first thing they say is blessed is the kingdom of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit now and forever and to the endless ages. Amen. Mm -hmm. And then they move into, yeah. And then they, they move in and that's called the great litany. And uh, it is great. It is uh, quite long. And even, yeah, I'm not sure what else I can. No, after just, that, except just, they say, Lord, have mercy many, many, many times. Right. Sorry, I uh, <laughs> maybe I steered you wrong to say that. No, well, that was that was a really good point, Mike. Like, that's a perfect. I thought prayer. it was a good parallel. 
It's yeah. a perfect parallel. Yeah. Yeah. It's in a more different spot than I thought, but like the, uh, the attitude of how they start the mass is well, yeah. Well, when they move into this great litany, um, like I'm, I'm not going to go in order, but you know, they'll say, uh, the priest will say for this holy house and for those who enter it in faith, reverence and fear of God, let us pray to the Lord, Lord have mercy. They pray for their Bishop. Um, they pray for the country, the president, the public services, the parish and city and for every town and for the faithful who live in them. Um, even when they're praying for favorable weather, um, they ask for God to have mercy on them. You know, they ask for deliverance from affliction, wrath, danger, and distress. But uh, it's it's almost like they're covering all their bases, like in, mm-hmm. in this litany. <laughs> it's like multiple consecrations over different things, right? Like offering to God all these different things. Right. Yeah. Well, in in speaking of that, I I need to make mention of it um, as you say it. But when they prepare the when they prepare the loaves, like the offering, each part is like for some something specific. And um, let me see. Like for a specific intention, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like the third loaf is cut into nine pieces, um, and it's they're symbolic of of things. Um, but they offer it for, you know, the church fathers, for martyrs, um, for the saints. The fourth is cut for the bishop. And the fifth is cut for deceased members. Like even when they're preparing this this offering, they're they're calling to mind, you know, people that have gone before and uh in a sense uh praying for them even still. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of it kind of harkens to the idea of like brother Lawrence and the, his book practicing the presence of God, where he would talk about, you know, that everything that we do can be something that we can offer to God. Right. Mm -hmm. So calling to mind, you know, as we're, you know, doing our duties at home and things like that, praying as we're doing the dishes, praying as we're doing these things, it, it kind of, because hesychism is such an important thing for the Eastern uh, people in the Eastern Rite, um, that desire to have a life of unceasing, unending prayer. Yeah. I don't know. That just kind of made me think of that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Brooke is going to uh, also, just for comparison's sake, uh, look at the beginning of the ordinary use. They have a couple of unique prayers at the start of Mass that I don't think are in the other Latin right liturgies. Like at the foot of the altar, you mean? No, I don't think they have prayers at the foot of the altar, but they have different prayers at the start of Mass compared to the Novus Ordo. They do have a prayer at the foot of the altar. Oh. People kneel on the priest at the foot of the altar says, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord. Okay. That's awesome. They do have they do have a little uh prayer at the foot of the altar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you it go. doesn't get a title in the book, that's why I missed it. But it does say in the red that the priest stops at the foot of the altar to say that prayer. Mm-hmm. That's neat. 
And then how does it Actually, how that? does it officially start going from there? Yeah, I wanna I wanna continue. So that's actually after after the uh, the yeah, that's weird. Actually, so they they have the procession, and then there's the intro it first, and then they begin the mass. Huh, that is very weird. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense like practically speaking, because that's kind of how things go like in a sung mass, for example, because the yeah. the choir oh, begins yeah, singing the, the introit while the priest mm-hmm. is, is doing his thing up at the front, right? Yeah. You're right. That's just not how it's written usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, the priest begins with the sign of the cross and then he at the foot of the altar he says that prayer that Brooke just read. And then facing the people standing on the predella, I have no idea what that is. The priest says the summary of the law. So after the prayers at the foot of the altar, he actually turns to the people and says, Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ saith. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then they sing the Kyrie after that. Cool. That's really neat. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I was reading something about that. Um, with regards to Martin Luther, right? Because Martin Luther uh-huh. had had intentionally put that into his liturgy. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah. You mean that uh, summary of the law thing? Exactly, exactly. And I think that's because of sola scriptura. I think there there was a reason why they wanted to push that, um, but I'm not sure. Anyway, so let's uh, let's wrap this up. So next week, we're taking a break from this <laughs> and kind of doing a response video to the two Catholic dudes uh, who recently did a podcast on Novus Ordo versus the Latin Mass. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. What are your thoughts, Mike? How do you feel about it? Uh it's going to be hard to get all the content squished into a podcast size. <laughs> I think it's doable. Their pot, that episode was 77 minutes. Yeah, it's doable. It, it took me like four hours to watch the first 40 minutes because I was seeing <laughs> so many notes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The more I listened, the more I got agitated. I had to stop because I'm like, no, these guys seem pretty cool like i don't want to get too agitated at this also i'm trying to take care of my children and make supper i'm gonna burn something (laughs) there's too many things at once like yeah children and trying to take care of the house and people being wrong on the internet all at the same time Yeah. yeah and i'm hypersensitive with mild case of anxiety so it did not go well funny yeah so yeah so look forward to that next week um so we are taking a break and then 
uh, and then we've got an interview the following week. Yep. Okay. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Brooke, who is it? Don't it's, tell us. Uh, don't tell us. Just give don't us. Don't tell us. Yeah. Okay. Give it. Give us a hint. Like a teaser. It, te- yeah. Tease us, Brooke. Oh. Okay. Um. He's Catholic. He's Catholic. He's handsome. He's. I. I don't. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, you do. He's handsome. That's from you, not from me. <laughs> I don't want to get any trouble. <laughs> um. Surprise! It's Chris Bray. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be great if we had Chris Bray on the podcast. Let's let's just say that I think he's the guy to go to if you want to take your Sunday suit up to the next level. Ooh. And that's okay. off the cuff. Uh, I like how you uh, segued that. It was like a cuff link. Yep. <laughs> He's We're gonna sorry. love that joke. We're sorry, everyone. We're so sorry. Yes. Also, this guy Brooks interviewing loves dad jokes. Yep. <laughs> so there you go. Awesome. It's gonna so, be great. You're gonna be talking about Marian devotion and Marian devotion and manliness, and also he's uh, he's recently uh, you know decided to come to the Latin Mass. Um, so yeah, I want to get uh, get his story and then uh, talk with him about how uh, having a devotion to Our Lady is actually pretty manly. For sure. So that's yeah. going to be in two weeks. So. Next week, the response to the two Catholic dudes. We love you. Please don't think we hate you. We don't. And then the interview. So a lot to look forward to in the next few mm-hmm. weeks for sure. So yeah. yeah. And then in three weeks, we'll get to the confidior finally. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah. I've got so many things to say about the confidior. You have no idea. <laughs> yes alright guys well it's been fun thanks again should we say the thing yeah yeah thanks for thanks for hanging with us too you're the best alright so from all of us here at Theology of the Buddy Studios stay Stay tratty stay tratty stay tratty